I'm trying to describe and, and, and encourage us with the, the realization that the early church and the early Christians, you know, it wasn't all just a cakewalk. It wasn't all just easy for them to uh, come into the fullness of what God had for them. It was an adventure. It was a time of uh, questioning and engaging and, and often struggle. And I, I want to encourage us, you know, don't give up because there's struggle. Don't give up because God doesn't seem to come through straight away. Don't give up because you draw a conclusion out of your circumstances that God isn't answering. We are robbed and we, are, we, we lose so much traction because we draw conclusions out of our woundedness that shut the gate for God to meet us. And the other part of what we do is we isolate. That's why I prayed of a pride. You know, it takes one to know one. So I'm just speaking from where I've been. And, and you know, I, I know what the, the journey's like. It's easy to isolate. The other thing we do when we're angry with God is we blame everyone else. You don't do that, but some people, I, you know, I have. You blame other people. You make them responsible for your attitude. You make them responsible for why God isn't working. Because if you, God, if you just change them, then it would be better for me. And he said, I'm not changing them until you change. And by the way, I've had to deal with a lot from you, so you can show grace to others. And so there's this whole struggle of disillusionment that often keeps us trapped for years and years and years. Uh, you could call it lukewarmness, which is I kind of believe but I don't believe. And then if I do believe, then God's going to send me to Africa. You know that sort of story. If you get enthusiastic with Jesus and he's going to change your life, and you begin to become this miserable person. But you might already be quite a miserable person. And God actually wants to release his life into you. And I mean, I used to think that God was this killjoy. And I used to think that if I gave him everything, um, it wouldn't be a good news. And when I first actually risked saying yes to him when I was first ordained, I was going to go into the the Anglican Church, which was a huge sort of risk for me because there was a lot in that church that I didn't relate to and it certainly didn't make me come alive, but I did feel that maybe God was calling me to be part of a solution and it took me many years to wrestle with that because I didn't feel part of a solution and then when I offered trying to be part of a solution, it wasn't accepted and it, 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 it was a tough journey. Um, I want to encourage you with God teaches us things. You know, the first thing he taught me after I'd said yes to him and I'd been accepted to ordination, I mean, I thought I was going to a little college in South Africa and then ended up going to Oxford. And I remember when it, when it opened up and he just said, I told you, I'm a generous God and I'm a good God. We didn't use those words 30 years, 40 years ago, but it was what he was trying to tell me because I hadn't ever ha had the experience of God being a good God who would bless me like that. A generous God. It was like you earn, you've got to earn what you get, all that stuff. So a lot of what I talk about now wasn't intuitive at all. A lot of what we do here wasn't certainly intuitive to me. It was being hungry for more and keeping on saying, there's got to be more. This can't be it. If I was Jesus, I wouldn't die for this. I'm serious, I wouldn't. I, I would just go, it's insulting. If this, is what, if this is where God is and this is the extent of his power, and this is the extent of his impact on me. It's pitiful. And so I'd go, there's got to be more. It makes sense to me there's more. How to get there, that's the, that's the journey. But I want to see the presence of God and the power of God. And the journey is the way of, of getting there. And so these disciples, 
you know, they went through this three years with Jesus and they went through the disillusion of, of, the, of the cross. And one of the testimonies we gave yesterday about Fred and Glenda, they just, you know, I'm going to raise you up for a while, which is, it's just, you know, Fred, one of Fred's testimonies that we never quit. And there are a couple who have been part of this church's up and down in leadership for 30 years or, or in all kinds of capacities. But we never gave up. And there were many instances we all know in our history of giving up, despairing, disillusionment, and my own failure. I mean, I would have left the church if I'd been part of it. I did. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean, the disillusionment. of it. But you call yourself a Christian, how can you do that? And all I am is a testimony of God's grace. I'm a just, just a testimony of no matter how you screw up, God is gracious. And God actually redeems and God rescues. So that's the ministry I have now. Redemption. You can't be bad enough for him to reject you. I mean, you sneeze and half the Christian community rejects you, but God won't reject you ever. Peter and John have gone on this journey. John stays at the cross. He's the one that Jesus loved and, and knew that he was loved by Jesus. There's a lovely talk on that that Chris Gore gives. Peter is the one who was strong on the outside and he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you. When the cross came and the, the chips were down, Peter was out there running away. Jesus, John was the quiet one who says, the one who Jesus loved. He knew the love of Jesus as a young, he was probably only 19 or 20. And because he knew the love of Jesus, he was the one who was at the cross. And then after the cross, they went through the whole journey of what now, what does this mean? so easy to read the scriptures and miss the massive amounts that are in between the lines that is where we live. And, and my biggest prayer for all of us is a hunger that causes us to look for the more that is between the lines. You know, we can jump from, I want this to here's a conference and now here's a testimony and it's all along this little line of superficiality. And as soon as the winds blow, everything crashes down because there's no muscle, there's no strength, because that's what the journey is about. It's building the muscle to be able to stand in the circumstances that would have crushed you to bear witness to Jesus. And the hardest thing to do is bear witness to something you don't believe in. The hardest thing to do is to be passionate about something you feel you should be, but you're not really. Double-minded, it's called uh, lukewarmness. It's called sitting on the fence. It's called hedging your bets. And we all go through those times. But the way that you come through those times is to say them. It's actually to say, this is what I'm struggling with right now. But where we get proud is that we actually sit on the fence and we think that we have a right to sit on the fence because we've been hard done by. And Peter and John could have said, Jesus suckered us into something and he never told us what was going to happen. Not like this. I mean, I've left my family, I left my father, I left the fishing boats, I left Galilee, I've come to Jerusalem, I really feel like a fish out of water. And he's hit us with this. I'm out of here. They could have been really offended. How easy is it for you to be offended? What does it take for you to be offended and get up and walk? Somebody look at you the wrong way, somebody say the wrong thing, somebody make you feel a little awkward, that's it, that's all it takes. How easy is it to keep you quiet? How easy is it to make you angry? How easy is it to hurt your feelings? What do you do when that happens? How much do you talk about other people behind their backs? How much do you get angry? It's easy to do. Easy to do. You don't, have, you don't need Jesus. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You just need a body and a flesh and a mouth. Because Satan will 
puppet you into those negative things. It's easy to do. There's no glory in it at all. And Peter had to come to terms and John had to come to terms with their flesh, with their doubt, with their brokenness because until you do, there's nothing to say. And Jesus knows what he's dealing with so there's a resurrection. The tomb is open. Angels appear. He appears. For for, For six weeks, he appears to more than 500 people because he's trying to give them the confidence to believe that the unbelievable is real. Jesus rose from the dead. Here, give me something to eat. Feel my wounds. You will see me on more than one occasion. And I'll walk with you, Peter, into the fishing in Galilee where you're going to go and try and work this all out again. I'm going to come and meet you again. I'm going to call you again. I'm going to tell you to wait in Jerusalem. I don't want you to go mouthing off until you know my power and you don't know what it feels like, so you don't even know what I'm asking, but I'm telling you to do it. And for once the disciples did what they were told and they were filled with the Spirit and things changed. If you're trying to work out your journey with Jesus, you will never, never go beyond something very boringly predictable. You will become the religious person you would despise. You will develop attitudes so quickly and then you'll have rigid parameters for your life and how Christianity should be and it'll be at a nursery school level. You'll never be used because you won't have anything to give. And the core of Christianity is hungry, humble people who know that they've got much more to learn and they're tasting and seeing the goodness of God and that's what they speak of. Now Peter and John, that's where in, in Luke 4, I mean John, uh, Acts 4, they've been to the temple. We spoke about this last week. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They haven't given up. They know that Jesus is alive. They've been filled with the Spirit. Peter has given some very surprising talks. 3,000 people have joined their number. Now all of a sudden, Peter's given this talk. 3,000 people and they say, who's the leader? And they point at Peter and Peter goes, whoops. I wasn't asking for this. See, one of the things you notice in these chapters in Acts is that the disciples didn't sit down and strategize how they were going to win the world. All they were asked to do was follow Jesus. And in the end, the strategy that God seemed to use was, I'll change the world one by one. Because if my spirit dwells in some people and they shine light and my healing pours out through them, that will actually change the world. I mean, why should you have, for instance, the Zika virus down uh, in South America? One mosquito and an epidemic. Or any of the, the epidemics we've known. It, it, it's all, they've all started somewhere. What if Christianity is the same? What if we become highly infectious, highly contagious? You can't be in our presence and you don't get impacted. You can't be in our presence and you don't get you don't catch something, which is the love of Jesus. What do you need? Do you need money? Do you need healing? Do you need a place to stay? What if the Christians were contagious with their generosity, with their passion, with their boldness? But you're not bold, you're not passionate about things that you don't really believe. And when you're insecure and you don't really believe things, what you become is very self-absorbed. So now God revolves around my needs and that's all that happens. My world, my needs and my God. That's what a lot of the world sees of Christians. And even churches of individual seats with individual people coming together for an individual moment and going away for an individual life. And God is calling us into community and calling us to grow together, to share together, to struggle together, to fail together, to, to 
to succeed together. Because it's in relationship and in community that our egos are dealt with. Our individualism is dealt with in a good way. You're always going to be an individual. You always need the freedom to think for yourself. But there's also the opportunity to place others in your life where you can serve, where you can grow, where you can say, I don't know. And so Peter and John had gone to the temple. They had uh, seen this uh, lame man and, and we talked about last week, maybe filled with the Holy Spirit. They saw this man in a way they'd never seen him before. They heard him in a way they'd never heard him before. And so when he said, can I have some money? Maybe before Peter John said, don't have any cash. That's it. Jesus, we just speak blessing on him. Ask you to bless him, comfort him, provide people for him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Probably what I would have done. Maybe not even that much. But this time, filled with the Spirit, they are a new creation. And they contain the power of the living God inside them. And they've been around Jesus long enough, but they have a sense of something and the Holy Spirit nudges them. And so Peter says, look at me. The man looks at him and John and he says, a, a silver and gold I don't have you, but in, uh, I have, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He takes him by the hand, pulls him up. And then, you, then he wrote the song, walking and leaping and praising God. Silver and gold have I none. And it became a hit in the, in the Jerusalem you know, services. And they all used to sing it, but they never saw anybody healed again. They just talked, sang it for children. Because what the church has done is taken most of the miraculous works of Jesus and made them into children's stories. David and Goliath. That's how Satan's infiltrated the church. He's emasculated all the miracles of God into children's stories. While the grown-ups read Romans and study the word but have no power or passion. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I didn't sort of mean to. What happened? The guy called Jonathan Hessler and he wrote a song called No Longer Slaves, which we've sung. And he said he wrote the song and then God took them through quite a hard time. And he said, Lord, why are you doing this? And he said, I want you to sing the song from your heart, from the experience of knowing you're no longer a slave. Not just a song at this level, at this level. He's got a group called the Cageless Birds and he said, you know, we got this, we got this title from actually South Africa. There was a, uh, I think it was in the northern part of South Africa, there was this um, eagle that was, I think, captive for about 20 years in a cage in one of the zoos in South Africa. And they decided they were going to let this eagle go. So they took it out into the wild, into one of the game reserves, and they um, placed this cage there, and they opened the door, and they said, you know what happened? The eagle just sat there. It sat there for half an hour. And then he said the strangest thing happened. A wild eagle flew overhead, and this bird in the cage looked up and saw it. And then it went out the cage and flew out. It didn't know it could be free until it saw one that was free. And what Peter and John discovered was that Jesus was the eagle who was freer than they'd ever seen. And in Acts you see cageless birds beginning to fly out, beginning to flap wings in a way they never knew they could do. Because they'd been in the religious cage all their lives, been in the human cage all their lives been in the effort cage all their lives, been in the, I've got to earn it cage all their lives. And the one who was absolutely free flew by and said, come and join me. Silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, fly. 
And that was the beginning of the early church. People who could fly. And that is the message that God has for us. I want you to fly. I want you to get out of your cages. And some of us like our cages. But here to say you're no longer a slave. The door's open because he breaks chains. And so Peter and John, they they have this man hanging on to them and, and, and he's, he's been crippled. He's 40 years old. I mean, it's amazing. And, and he's holding on to them. And what happens? I mean, they didn't, they didn't get the star of Jerusalem and be put in a parade saying, thank you so much. The other religious leaders were really, really angry because what they did, and they were poor, uneducated men, exposed the poverty of spirit they had. And they did something these guys would have loved to do, but they didn't know how to do it because they didn't know Jesus. So they got angry, which is what we do. If I see something happening and I don't have control over it and it doesn't make sense to me, I get angry. Or I get insecure. Or this is too emotional. Them is us in all of this stuff. And it's about learning how to own it and say, yes, Lord, we're on a journey. This is not the goal. This is not the end of it. So you're showing me something in order that I can actually fly out of that cage. I'm terrified of flying out of the cage. But if you want to follow Jesus and never be terrified, have a nice life. You can have kibble and bits in the bottom of your cage and, and, and live off religious you know, droppings. And, and most of us are sick of that. I was trying to fix the uh, TV outside and um, was in a store in town. I'll keep it as discreet as I can. And there's uh, somebody there who, who used to be part of, I think, the church in some form here. And they haven't been for a long time. And, uh, and they said to me, I recognize you. So I said, yeah, I talked to you a few years ago and invited you to come and still haven't seen you. And they said, um, and I said, you know, we, we, we got chatting a bit and said something about uh, so many people want magic and its process and character. And, and they said, yes, that makes sense. And I, I had to take this thing back the next day and I took it back the next day and they said, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about what you said about everybody wants magic because that's, that's not what I want. And then they just said, I'm so hungry. So I said, well, why didn't you come? You don't have to be afraid. And, that, and, and they said, they were honest enough, they said, I am afraid. And probably I am afraid because I've been hurt or something's happened to me. There are a lot of people out there like that. So I'm, gonna t- I'm, I'm talking about boldness and what the essence of boldness is, is not trying to be brave. The essence of boldness is what actually this chapter ends with, which is, I cannot but help speak of what I've seen and heard. And until God captures your heart to the degree that he is the passion of your life, he'll always come second, third or fourth. And there'll always be a reason not to open your mouth or to, or to, or to go the extra mile. When he is the passion of your life, it's not hard. There are no sacrifices. It's just what you do. What else would you do? I mean, God had a little bit enough of a hold of me when I was in my early 20s. I was wondering what to do and I went to a, um, an advertising firm and I was going to be an advertising executive, which means you work with the artists in the advertising firm and then you work with the clients. And so it, 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 
It appealed to me because of the creative side of it. But all the artists said to me as I spent three months there kind of looking at this thing, they said, get something more substantial behind you. This is a young person's market and you'll be out of a job by 35. But what really compelled me at the end of the day was that the major, um, the major product line for the adver- advertising company was whiskey and Johnny Walker whiskey and uh, Rothmans of Pall Mall cigarettes. And I kind of couldn't get my head around spending my life trying to convert people to drink and drugs. And Jesus had enough of a hold of me to actually make me aware of that. Peter and John had the love of Jesus embedded in them in a way that they hadn't seen earlier. It was all coming up to the surface. And so what happens to them is these cageless birds come into this marketplace where everyone else is caged. And they're trying to get them back in the cage. And what, does the, what do, the, what do the, uh, the religious people do? They always use power, prestige, and bureaucracy. They always do that. When you're weak, you use the structures because that's all you have. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Have you ever thought about these guys? They had families. That Peter had a mother-in-law, so he probably had a wife. I I read a Catholic thing the other day and I'm not anti-Catholic, I really am not, but they were trying to work out that Peter had a mother-in-law but the mother-in-law was staying in Peter's house so Peter's wife must have died which makes Peter celibate so therefore he can be Pope. <laughs> it's just, just silly things we do. Like if he had a wife and he's got kids he's not celibate whether she's dead or not. Anyway, it's just the funny religious contortions we go through to try and make God fit into our little molds. And uh, Peter and John, uh, they were put in jail and it's in verse 4, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's men, so there's probably more men, women, and children. That's not bad for the first few weeks. It took one man laughing and d- dancing and saying, Jesus has healed me, and everybody was ears. And the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and they all, I read this at a Bible study when I was about 28, 27 with the Archbishop of Cape Town. I remember it now. Next day, this is what I read. The next day, the rulers of the, we were in a Bible study in the morning, seven o'clock. Rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anus, the high priest, was there. Uh, oops, that wasn't a good reading of that. Anyway, we got to the bottom of it in the end. And they had Peter and John brought before. You got that? Nice to see you. Away. Welcome back. You were dozing off. By what power or what name did you do this? You see, I just want to, I'm going to speed up here, but what, what, what you read in this passage is Peter and John could have bailed out at any time. They could have said, I'm, I'm really sorry to offend you. Let's, walk out, let's work out um, some kind of Canadian peace corps compromise where we won't offend you, you won't offend us, we'll have freedom to be, we can coexist, we'll have multi-faith services. How would that be? We la- make you look good, you make us look good, we're okay. Don't rock the boat. Take that into your own life. Um, I won't disturb things. So I'll compromise here, I'll compromise there. And suddenly, there's nothing to bear witness to. And so Peter and John, they've been in jail 
and you don't hear, uh, and they say, how do you do this? And Peter and John don't go, I don't know, it's a mystery. I mean, I wasn't expecting it either. Can we go home now? I'm hungry, I've been in jail, it's not fair. No, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit says to them, rulers and elders of the people, these are the people that Peter had been terrified of. If we are being called to account for an act of kindness, because that's what it was, you will have Bible studies on this by people who from the dispensation or the cessation, which says the Holy Spirit doesn't work anymore, will be saying that God healed the lame man to show people that he was powerful and uh, it's the lesson we need for the church and he doesn't do it anymore. No, this was the illustration of God indwelling a human being and showing his compassion for the broken and the wounded, an act of kindness. To a man who was lame and, and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That's it. They were beginning to get in touch with the power of the name of Jesus. How powerful is the name of Jesus over your life, over this church? It's one of the reasons why we talk about speaking out. And I, you know, I speak out over us encouragingly. Lord, break the dumb, mute spirit in us. Break the spirit that keeps us quiet. You can think it, but it will have no power. I say this again and again. God showed it to me, and I, I, I hate that phrase. When Genesis began, let there be light, there was light. Let there be, you know, all of that. When Pentecost came, God said to the people who followed Jesus, you have the same gift now. My spirit lives in you. When you speak, power will be released. Things will change because you speak from the invisible to the visible. It's totally different. On this earth, it's from the visible to the invisible, sort of. From the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven dwells in me. I speak it out and power is released. How? I haven't got a clue. But then I don't have a clue that I can pick up radio waves here either. Speaking is incredibly important. And so these guys began to speak. It's in the name of Jesus. That's it. And I'm going to, I want to finish with this. I don't really want to finish with this, but I've got to say this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To which John nudged Peter and said, Shut up. It was going quite well. Now you have totally messed us up. We've been in jail again. I mean, they're Jews. They're Arabs, they're Buddhists, they're all kinds of other people, Hindus, and you have the audacity to stand in this Jerusalem market and say, by no other name can people be saved other than Jesus. How incredibly dogmatic. And Who the hell do you think you are? You see, if I'd taken that out of context and just spoken it, what would the response be? What is the response? I wanted to sort of actually engage with you on this. So you can speak back. I mean, what is the... Is that, is that objectionable? Sorry? Why is it objectionable? Because they don't believe. In Canadian culture and in our Western culture, that statement is highly offensive, is highly politically correct, incorrect. In many of our hearts... Of many of us here, we will not declare that. Why? 
I'm not saying this to, I'm not speaking in a, in a negative, judgmental way, because I actually think the way we work through these things is talking about them. Why is it so objectionable? Because of fear? We trust other things? You have been taught that way? Absolutely. We don't think we should hold them accountable. We, we don't think we should hold others accountable to the same standard we believe in, which I think is actually true. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings. We don't want to change because we're comfortable. We don't have the confidence. Okay. We, you've been told you can't do it. Okay, quit whining. Just wait a minute. Don't worry, Gary can take it. We, Peter, Peter and John were told to keep quiet. And what did they say? Oh, okay. We went back to the upper room and said, no, we're not allowed to talk anymore because they ticked off with us. We're thrown in jail. Oh, why would thrown in jail? Do you understand that the mentality of the suicide bomber is one of conviction that this is what I'm going to live for and die for? And the enemy that you cannot defeat is one who is willing to lose their life. What if the Christians are meant to be like that? See, I think the issue is not... Peter said salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross. I don't think that's the issue about what is offensive. I think the issue about what is offensive is often how it's said. I don't think Christians can hold the whole world to the standard of Christianity when they don't know Jesus. And a lot of Christians have done a lot of damage by expecting everybody else to behave like Christians under that kind of statement. But what if, you see, Peter and John didn't sit in the upper room working out a speech in order to give it to people. They bore witness to what was going on in themselves. They said, I can't help but speak of what I've seen and heard that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, his power is in me, and he's done an act of kindness. If you want me to put me into jail for that, let it be so. It's a huge difference. Paul would eventually stand in Rome and say, I see all these gods here on, the, on Mars Hill, but I proclaim to you the one that is the unknown God that you actually have a little altar to, that Jesus is Lord. I'm reading something about uh, the, the, Muslim, the Muslim faith and... and uh, what do you what jihad? And the person is a is a Muslim. He's been a Muslim most of his life, and he, he's become a Christian. He's written this very powerful book, trying to explain it to the Western mind. And he says, if you go back, it was only in the 1930s that Islamic faith was ta- was told to be, was described as a peaceful faith. He said most Muslims don't have a clue what's in the Quran, just as like most professing Christians don't. So I'm not speaking in a judgmental way at all. But he was, he was just saying in, in, in Muhammad's nine year, last nine years of Muhammad's life, he was engaged in more than nine wars a year. That the core of the Islamic faith is actually violent. And it's, so he says, you know, Westerners stand up and say, this is a peaceful faith. He says, it's not peaceful. But the reason I would stand up in the marketplace and, and Muslims die now in Afghanistan for their faith, would stand up and say there is no one else, is because... For a Muslim to come to a revelation of the love of Jesus is for a cageless, a bird to be set free from a cage. For a Buddhist to hear the, 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 the good news of the love of Jesus is to be set free from a cage. For a Jew or a Hindu, I mean, people joke about reincarnation. It's a curse from hell. 
Go to India, see how they live. To know Jesus is to be set free. But if you don't know Jesus has set you free, he's just another option. And then you won't stand in the marketplace. You'll just go, well, I just think everybody should be able to do what they do, which I actually agree with. Everybody should be able to worship as they wish. I should also have the freedom to be able to declare who I believe in, just as you have the freedom. And I think, I think that's what we have to learn. You have to learn how to live out of a conviction that also loves and honors other people. And so boldness is about what causes truth to rise up in you. What will you live for and what will you stand for? And the less of the conviction you have in me, the quicker you get to trying to proclaim things all over the place rather than just you bear witness to things and see what happens. But you have to be willing to take the cost. We cannot help speak about what we have seen and heard. And they other verse 14, and, and this for me is the passion of Jericho Road, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, they could say nothing. I want, a, I want to be part of a church where the healed and the filled with the Spirit are standing present, bearing witness to what God has done in them, and therefore saying, I can't say anything else. I'm still a work in progress, but the living God has touched my life, and this is my testimony. We need to have less orders and declarations over other people and more declarations of who God is for us. And then many will come to know him because they're hungry, like the person I saw in the store. Let's stand and ask him to release us. Are you a caged bird or are you a cageless bird? That's why I keep encouraging us. What is your next question? What is the thing that God's working on with you now to give you confidence? See, everything God has for us is, I just want to build your confidence. I want to build your confidence that you are deeply loved. I want you to build your confidence that there is no sin in your life that has not been forgiven or cannot be forgiven. I want to build your confidence that nothing in your past makes your, future, your present or your future disqualified. I want to build your confidence that you are good enough because of who I am in you. I want to build your confidence that I can use you not use you because I need some kind of tool. I want to use you because I want to, I want to share my heart with the world through you. I want you to share the joy of finding people come alive because I'm working in you and through you because my spirit brings life. Do you think Peter and John were blessed because they saw that lame man get up and walk? Do you think they were blessed to go, wow, maybe... Peter and John looked at each other as this man started going, you know, jumping around saying, it works. Maybe they had no clue just how powerful it would be to the point where Peter would walk past people and his shadow would heal them. But before God could release that kind of power into Peter, Peter had to know the source of that power. Otherwise, he would have broken down under his own ego. So God is working with you to work through you. Where are you in a cage this morning of fear or limitation? And that is a question that is being asked in love, not in judgment. Father, I just ask you right now to open up some cages where there's insecurity or unbelief or fear, whatever it is. Let the wild eagle flow above and let us walk out of those cages into new freedom in those areas that you're speaking us to into
wherever you're saying you're placing a limitation on yourself, is, it's one of the ways God will speak to you. He'll just show you the limitations you're placing on yourself. I cannot, but you don't understand. But my family, whatever it is, just tell him. Get tired of your excuses and don't be offended when they're diagnosed and exposed. Part of freedom. Boldness comes from the inside. So Father, I just bless you for the boldness you're releasing here now as you fill us up on the inside with conviction, with hope, with the assurance of your faithfulness. Come Holy Spirit, thank you. And so the way you receive, as I often say it, is you take whatever the negative is and you just receive the positive. Thank you, Jesus. And I ask for you to raise up faith, raise up strength, raise up boldness. I ask this morning, Father, that you release voices that will speak words that we never thought we would speak out loud. Words about who you are, words about your presence and your power. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Look forward, look up, and see where the Lord has you go. And then be expectant for more in the name of Jesus.